Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. He says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, or nearsighted the idea is, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into an everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, we just humbly ask for your help just personally and corporately as a group of people standing here this morning. Lord, as we're, we're standing uh, here, we pray that in a sense it could just reflect our heart attitude of every one of us in this room. That, Lord, we want to be attentive to you as our, uh, our commanding officer. That, Lord, the things you would want to say to us, to give us direction for our lives personally, we would be able to hear. So, Lord, you know what that means for me and each one of us in this room. Would you prepare us accordingly? Help us to be alert and attentive. We pray that you would bless your word as it goes forth this morning with its power and its life that's encoded within it. Lord, speak to our hearts personally and directly. And give us an ear to hear what you want to say and help us to be responsive to it. And we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> you know, why is it, do you think, that some people, it seems, struggle to grow and to develop in their spiritual lives? Well, the passage in front of us, I think, addresses some of that very issue. And maybe you're here this morning and you would wonder, is it possible, no matter where you're at in your life today, to actually still be able to make progress spiritually? Well, I think the passage answers that question as well. And as we go into these things this morning, I think it's important to kind of remind ourselves by way of a connection or illustration that it is both natural and healthy that after a child is born, once a child experiences birth and physical life, it is natural and healthy then for there to be progression and development. And the exact same thing could be said regarding spiritual life. That in the same way, once someone is born again, as Jesus talks about in John chapter 3, that that is how spiritual life begins. We're not born automatically with spiritual life. There needs to come a time when we experience a spiritual birth process, whereby when we accept Christ as Savior and Lord, we put our faith in Him. At that moment, the Bible describes, Jesus Himself calls it, that we are born again. And the Spirit of God comes into us and makes our dead spirit come alive to God and we become conscious of God and we begin a spiritual relationship with God as he intends and once we become a child of God and have that spiritual birth process we should naturally begin to grow and to develop 
in our Christian life and relationship with the Lord. That just like a child grows up and that's natural and healthy through stages of maturity, the same should happen in our lives spiritually. That being said, unlike physical growth and development, which seems to kind of mostly happen sort of independent of us, uh, we don't have a whole lot to contribute. I understand there are things we can do maybe to, to stunt our growth, uh, but Pretty often, just by nature, it seems that kind of independent of us, we grow and we develop uh, physically in our physical life. Unlike physical growth and development, spiritual growth is not quite so automatic. In fact, when you study the Word of God, it seems to indicate to us that to mature and grow spiritually, there is a part of our participation that is necessary. It involves our cooperation with God. That God has, in a sense, put his spiritual DNA into our lives, but there is a necessary component whereby we, to in order to grow and develop, uh, need to yield to what God wants to do in our lives and not be resistant to that. And I would go so far to say is that when there is genuine life spiritually in a person, there should be together with that a, a corresponding desire to want to go forward spiritually. You know, we make a big deal, it seems, a lot of times in the church, in the body of Christ, about getting people to come forward, come forward and accept Jesus. And listen, I'm not knocking those who host evangelistic crusades or pastors or churches who at times will call people forward to make a profession of faith, but I think we have to be very careful, and I think Peter almost emphasizes that those are professions of faith, but what God's word says is that we want to see a progression in faith. That we demonstrate that, yes, I didn't just walk forward and say a few phrases and repeat something that a guy from the front told me to repeat, but I sincerely had a salvation experience. I made a decision, a conscious choice to surrender to Christ. I was genuinely born again. And therefore, because there is real spiritual life in me, just like a baby, you can't stop it. That thing just keeps growing. It just keeps developing in the same way spiritually. There should be development happening. And if not, something's wrong. Something is amiss, and it causes us to have to want to take attention to that. And this is really, in a sense, what our passage is speaking to us about. In our prior verses, <clears throat> particularly verses 3 and 4 that we looked at last week, we are told there in those verses that God has supplied to the believer everything that we need for spiritual life and to develop into godliness. That when we came to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, everything necessary for spiritual life, for godliness, for spiritual growth, for fruitfulness, that was all supplied to us in our salvation experience. He told us in verses 3 and 4 that His divine power, God's divine power, has been given to us, given to us all things, it says, that pertain to spiritual life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have also, again, notice, been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may become partakers, participants in God's divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world that is through lust. So what the scriptures teach us is that the person who has accepted Christ, Colossians tells us, is complete in him. 
Now that's very important this morning because if you are a Christian, it's important that you understand that the Bible teaches that everything that you need for spiritual maturity, for a successful Christian life, to develop into all that God intends for you, to follow God's will for your life, to have a fruitful walk with Jesus, listen, is already available. It's been made at your disposal, available to you by God's divine power and His exceedingly great and precious promises and His divine nature through the Holy Spirit coming in you and your, your life being filled with the Holy Spirit. You have the very life of God dwelling within you and everything that you need has already been supplied to you. It's already been made available to you. A lot of times as Christians, it seems that we're very interested in, well, well what book should I read or, or what conference should I attend? And not that these things can't be assets and compliments, but listen, if you had nothing other than your commitment to Jesus Christ and a copy of the Word of God, I am thoroughly convinced you can be a fruitful Christian and an effective Christian who develops into everything that God has intended for your life. I wonder sometimes that the problem is, is we get caught into all the other trappings of Christianity. And because of that, uh, it's confusing to me that somehow we're anemic in the body of Christ. And maybe the problem is, is that we need to get back to the basics and realize, listen, I have the power of the Holy Spirit. I have the word of God. And if I have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, everything's been supplied to me. His divine power, his promises, his nature imparted to us. But at the exact same time that you don't lack anything, that God's made everything available to you, it's important to realize in what Peter is saying here that we still must actively involve ourselves in participating, in partaking of, yielding to his power at work within us. That we need to partake of the promises by faith and obedience to experience them in our lives. And we need to embrace the life of Christ and let God work within us. And these verses exhort us and give us instruction of how spiritual progress requires our involvement. It does require us to be involved. God supplied everything and made it available. But just like if somebody put a deposit into your bank account, unless you withdraw from it, it does you no good. And there needs to be a part of our involvement in the process. And this is what Peter in balance now begins to talk about. Having spoken of all that's supplied to us by God's power, he then says, if you draw your attention back to verse 5, but also for this very reason, reflecting back, for that very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, that is to your Christian faith, virtue to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Now, in verses 5 through 7, what Peter is doing here is giving instruction regarding our involvement in spiritual development. Our involvement in spiritual development or progression in our faith with Jesus. It indicates that after our salvation experience, when we become a child of God, that that's just the beginning. That we then from there are supposed to continue forward and move onward. The Bible tells us this all throughout the scriptures. That's God's design that we grow and develop spiritually. It tells us in the book of Hebrews, the writer says in Hebrews chapter 6, let us go on. 
It tells us as well in Colossians chapter 2, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. Jude tells us in his writing, he says, Beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. So again, we see this throughout the word of God. Go on. As you receive Jesus, then keep walking in Jesus, being rooted and built up in Jesus. Jude says, look, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Continue to develop and build upon your relationship with Christ, further development in the things of God. And Peter now here by the Holy Spirit synonymous with the word of God, instructs believers to make that same progress. He speaks of it here in verses 5 to 7 by kind of almost giving us an example of what growth should look like. He kind of lays out a list for us here of maybe some, you could say, measurable evidences of a Christian who's making spiritual progress. That these are some measurable things that we should begin to see in our lives indicating that we're making progress. And it's almost as if as he begins verse 5, he almost sort of gives almost like a motivation for spiritual progress. He says at the beginning of verse 5, if you look at our text there, he says, for this very reason, as if we should need a reason, but he says, for this reason. Now, what's he talking about? He's referring back to what he just said in verses 1 through 4. Because of the fact of what God has done for us in and through Jesus. Because of the fact that God's divine power has been supplied to you. God's given you the very power of his spirit to live within you. Because of the fact that God's given you his divine nature and he has supplied exceedingly great and precious promises for you to capitalize on and experience all of God's plan for your life. Because of the fact that everything, as we said, that you need as a Christian to live a successful and productive life as a believer has already been supplied to you, he says, for this reason, now, appreciatively and confidently, we should respond with maximum effort to want to go forward, to want to make progress and to withdraw from those things so that we can develop in our walk with Christ. And he continues sort of by then telling us sort of the way to approach a method or you, however you want to say it, uh, spiritual progress. He says, verse 5, going on, giving, look at this word, you almost want to underline, giving all diligence. And when I think of diligence, that, that kind of sounds like work a little bit. Giving all diligence. Hey, that's a very diligent worker in our company. We understand what that means. So he says, as a Christian, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Now, again, we can't add anything to our faith to get saved. We understand that. The Word of God teaches us we're not saved by works, but by grace and through faith. So we don't. He's talking to believers, those who are already saved. He's not saying if you add to your faith some of these good works, you can be saved. He's talking to people who are already Christians. We add nothing in order to be saved other than, Lord, we believe and receive your gift of salvation. But he's talking once we are saved. He says, once you understand that you're a Christian, you've had that experience with Christ. He says here, now giving all diligence, add to your faith. And what he's reminding us here is that our involvement in spiritual growth is an important key. Please, I I encourage you in the Lord, do not ignore this reality as a Christian. Do not make excuses as to why you're not developing as a Christian 
if you, in a sense, are shrinking back and, and, and not giving anything to the participation of the cooperation of what it means to continue to walk with God. The word walk literally means progress. Progress. Walk means you're going forward. You're continuing on. When you, and the Bible speaks of us walking with God, walking with Christ. And we have to cooperate with what God desires and allow Him the opportunity to work in our lives. The Holy Spirit goes so far to say here, give all diligence. It's a picture of steady effort and expending personal energy that we should possess an eagerness, which should then translate into a zealous diligence to supply what we can to continue to move forward by building on what God has already supplied to us initially. You know, it's interesting when you look just at the terminology that's used there where Peter here says, add to your faith. When you look at that term in the original language, it literally probably would better be translated to supply generously. The term that was used there when you look at it in the original language described a person who would make charitable contributions out of their own personal resources in order to enable a course or a choir to go around and to perform in different areas. That was the term that's used there when he says, add to your faith. It was a term that described a person who out of their own resources made charitable contributions to empower something to go forward and to continue to move around. So what's God saying to us here? Supply generously. He's saying add in addition to, he's saying that we as Christians are to supply personal contribution to the process of spiritual development. He's saying, Tony, you do have a part to contribute. There is a contribution that you should make to this relationship in order to go forward and to mature and to develop into spiritual fruitfulness, resulting then in bearing fruit. And Peter here gives a list in these verses of kind of seven characteristics you could say they're almost kind of a sampling. I don't think it's an exhaustive list, but it's a sampling of kind of graces that should be developing and increasing in us and they're characteristics of a maturing and a growing believer to identify that we're making progress. The first thing he mentions in our list here is he says, add or supply to your Christian faith virtue. Now that's a word that's almost absent from our culture today. Virtue, what, what's that? Virtue. Well, the word virtue basically just means moral excellence. It describes holiness. It describes purity and a desire to live in a way that is excellent in regards to morality. And what he's reminding us here is that after salvation, there should begin to be a difference in a person's life where they start to consciously pursue living more morally. They want to live more righteously. They desire purity and holiness in their life. And they're experiencing change in their behavior and their lifestyle and, and speech. If a person's genuinely born again, there should be, and it may be slow, but there should be some type of a measurable evidence that immorality is decreasing and morality and righteousness is increasing progressively that there should be a, a supply of more virtue and moral excellence in that person's life. It's a part of growth and development. Listen to what Ephesians 4 says. It tells us as Christians that we are to put off concerning our former conduct, the old man, 
which goes corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you may put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you hear what the Bible is saying? That every day, just like you change your garments and you take off your old clothes because they're from yesterday and you put on a new set of clothes, God's saying, listen, you have a new life now if you're a Christian. So every day you gotta kind of put off the old man. You gotta say, that old person is not who I am anymore. And I need to put on the new person. I need to walk in the new person that I am as a follower of Christ. And again, that conscious awareness and choice day by day to choose to follow Jesus. Again, if we think of the prior verses, if God's divine nature is within us, we should begin to desire to have godly appetites and live in a way that pleases God. If his divine nature is at work within us and if his divine power is available to us, as the prior verses say, the wonderful thing is he assists us to experience that change. He gives us the power to experience transformation. So he says, add to your Christian faith virtue. Next, he says as well, to supply and to add knowledge, which is basically a description of increasing in our spiritual understanding. Paul speaks in Colossians 1 of increasing in our knowledge of God. And yes, it is important that we continue to get to know God more that we continue to understand God's will and God's ways and, and that we take seriously the fact that God has given to us His Word, that He's given to us a love letter to hear His heart and to get to know who He is. He's given to us a recorded copy of, of His will that reveals to us who He is and what His plan is, that we might know who He is rather than what we see in the world and we contrive about God or what we want to think in our own mind God is like. God has given to us the Word of God. And he wants to reveal himself to us. And we should, as a Christian, be continuously expanding our awareness of God, developing in our understanding of who God is. And the best way that comes is by studying the Word of God and letting God speak to us in our lives. Peter's going to say in the third chapter, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And can I say this again? That doesn't come automatically. The Bible doesn't read itself. Okay, if you have a copy of the Word of God, you've got to open it. And you've got to study it and you've got to look into it and say, God, speak to me. Teach me things. Help me to see who you are. Help me to increase in my knowledge of who you are and what you are like. Again, God's Word says, my people die for lack of knowledge. Yes, studying the Word of God and increasing in your knowledge of God is important. If you love someone, you want to get to know them more. That's why you choose to marry them so you can get to know them the rest of your life. Maybe you've forgotten. It wasn't to make each other miserable the rest of your life. It was, I like what I see about you. So I want to live with you 24-7 so I can get to know you even more. You may get to know some things that you didn't know or you didn't plan on and the same happens with God but that's still a good thing because that's a part of a relationship. And so as a Christian, we should be developing, routinely engaging the process of learning spiritually. Again, what, look at the pursuits people put into education and careers. It, it's a part of the process. We should do no less in Christian, as Christians. We should pursue the knowledge of God. He also mentions, thirdly, that we should be supplying more self-control to our life. The word self-control refers to the ability to have restraint over your own spirit, to rule our passions and our desires, to handle the pressures of within regarding temptation to sin. And this is an area, as a Christian, we should always be developing in learning how to have better control of the pressures that arise from within us 
and to be able to have a measure of discipline in our spirit that we rule over our own spirit and our own passions that because again before we came to Christ you know and and if you're not following Christ the reality is before you come to Christ there there's no restraints you just you live according to whatever your passions and pleasures and desires are you're ruled you live like an animal I did anyway you just you live out of control that's how a person apart from being ruled by God's Spirit lives. Many of us lived out of control, yet then the Spirit of God comes in and He says, listen, no, I want to bring your life under control. I want to help you develop self-control, discipline in your nature and your temperament so you handle things better, so that you're making progress in this area where you're living a life that's more under control in the different areas and spheres of your activities and regarding temptation to sin that you have self-control over your flesh and you're able to resist and have restraint. He then mentions fourthly that we're also to supply perseverance which is kind of a word describing bearing up under something that's pressing down upon us. So this is almost the flip side. Self-control is restraint and the ability to bear up under pressures from within us Perseverance is the description of a word that talks about being able to handle and bear up under pressure that's kind of pushing from the outside. It's a description of bearing up under hardship and difficulty that when we go through things, whether it's trials or difficulties or maybe people who are hard to deal with, or facing situations that are uh, pressing down upon us, that are draining, that a believer, because the grace of God and the presence of God with them, should be a person who's developing in the area of perseverance. Meaning this, as Christians who serve a faithful God, we should become more faithful people. As you grow in your walk with Jesus, there should be a measure of perseverance developing in your character where you can persevere through things, that you don't crumble easily under things, but because you're relying upon God, you're not someone who quits easily. Oh, this is I quit. I'm running away. I quit. I quit on this marriage. quit on this job. Quit. No, as a, as a Christian, you should be developing perseverance. You don't just throw in the towel easy. You look to the Lord and say, Lord, I need grace. Yes, this is hard. But give me the grace to persevere. Help me to grow up. Perseverance produces character, the Bible says, and character hope. And we should be developing in this area of having greater measures of perseverance. He then mentions as well, fifthly, that we should be supplying godliness, which is a term there that means to be devoted to God, that we should be living in right relationship with God. There should be more uh, of a growing in likeness of God, a maturing believer, someone who remains in right relationship with God. Sixthly, he mentions in our list that we should also be supplying more brotherly kindness. And that refers to how we treat people in our relationships. That if we're in right relationship with God, we should start to have a right relationship with other people more. And that as a child of God and someone who's growing spiritually, I should become more kind in my interactions. There should be an ever-increasing measure of things like compassion and gentleness and politeness and the way that I treat people with thoughtfulness. And then he adds on to the list almost as the capstone at the end of it. There in verse 7, he says, and add to your brotherly kindness, love. And that's that word agape in the Greek. It's that sacrificial love of choice. It's the love that has nothing to do with conditions. It has nothing to do with how you're treating me. It's a love that says, I will choose to love 
because God chooses to love and I don't deserve God's love. I, I'm forever you know, uh, unworthy of God's love, but he loves me anyway because he chooses to love me and it's that kind of love that we're supposed to be maturing and developing into. And I've said from this pulpit many a times and I'll repeat it many times again, one of the greatest marks of spiritual maturity is a growth in love. It's a manifestation of more love. Again, the Bible teaches us this in passages like 1 Corinthians 13 and Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the bond of maturity, of perfection. When there's genuine love, God's love beginning to flow out of our life in sacrificial ways. Again, listen, not sentimental, emotional stuff. God's love's not necessarily sentimental. Oh, my husband's not very loving. He's not very sentimental. Well, I would encourage you to think about that again. Is he sacrificial? Does he deny himself and make sacrifices to show his love to you, to provide for you and to care for you and make sacrifices? Listen, don't measure love just by sentimental emotions. I know lots of people that are sentimental and emotional uh, and they're not necessarily the most loving and stable people. So we need to be careful how we define love. God's love is a love of sacrifice, a love of commitment, of loyalty of devotion and dedication and that's the kind of love that our world is hungering for and our world needs to see. You know, it's interesting when you look at that list Peter gives there, those seven virtues or graces, it's really a pretty fitting description of Jesus if you think about it. As he describes that there of what we're to add, if you think of that, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love, that's a very good description of who Jesus is. It's in essence Peter almost saying, listen, I want to see you become more Christ-like. I want to see you develop into greater Christ-likeness. He's challenging believers to take on our responsibility of spiritual development. Again, our responsibility, our role in the area of spiritual development. And the best way I can almost illustrate this is, again, if someone's an Olympic athlete and they desire to excel, there is no athlete, whether it's in the Olympics or a professional level, that gets to the place where they're at. I don't care how much natural talent they have. I don't care how much natural talent. There is no one who gets to a high level in athletic competition without certain sacrifices and dedication and commitment and effort being put in to be able to make progression to rise to higher and higher levels of excellence. And the exact same thing is true spiritually. We have to determine to make commitments. In fact, the Bible even tells us in 1 Timothy 4.7, listen, it says, exercise yourself toward godliness. Exercise yourself. What's the Bible saying? The Bible's saying you got to put some time in in the spiritual gym if you want to experience godliness. You know, I don't typically do this. How many people in this room exercise regularly? Okay. God bless you. But uh, pray for me. <laughs> Is there a level of commitment in that? You choose maybe to get up a half hour, an hour earlier and go to the gym and put in an hour maybe in the gym and maybe you do that a few times a week or you take chunks of your time and you have discipline and dedication. Why? Because you realize if I don't, I'm not going to be healthy spiritually or I won't get more healthy spiritually or I won't get stronger I won't have more stamina or I won't you know, shed some of these extra pounds that I, to get more fit, there's dedication, there's, you're exercising, there's a level of commitment. Why would we not do the same thing for spiritual fitness? 
It's amazing what we'll put in as far as effort you know, for physical fitness, and yet it's quite astonishing, and honestly, it's almost quite embarrassing sometimes as Christians, how minimal effort and commitment we put into our spiritual fitness and our spiritual health. The Bible says bodily exercise profits a little. Godliness profits not only now, but for eternity to come. You know, again, I... <laughs> Well, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go on. That's, I could get myself in trouble. I almost said something, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> you know, one of the crazes that I've seen that's kind of taken over, and, and I, I was very, very into exercise before I came to Christ, and I'm not opposed to that or knocking that, but, you know, of course, now there's the whole CrossFit thing. I mean, these people are radical diehards. A whole community, you know, challenging each other to rise to higher levels and posting what they did. I mean, it's, it's radical devotion to exercise for physical fitness. And I'm watching now, even among the body of Christ, there are, in a sense, now beginning to be this the new thing among the body of Christ is, well, let's do, you know, the, you know, the mud run exercise and these kind of things, and let's do it with, you know, and put a Christian twist and do it and do it as Christians. Now listen, please don't misunderstand me. I think it's wonderful Christians want to have fellowship and get in shape physically as well and have a way to connect and bond spiritually. But when I look at the premise of it, hey, we'll make a team and get together with a few other Christians and three, four, five times a week, you know, go out for an hour or two and train and get in good shape. And I'm thinking to myself, wouldn't it be wonderful if people said, hey, let's have extreme faith spiritual fitness and let's bond together and say for three four times a week let's pray together and read our bibles for an hour and and try and get really radical and healthy spiritually and i just i look at this and i think where where's our priorities at sometimes Again, if that's offensive, just forget I said it and let's move on. That's the benefit of going through the Bible. Verse 8. He says, For if these things... <laughs> I had to get that off my chest. I'm sorry. If these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice that phrase, if these things are yours. We're going to see that repeated in the last few verses here. These things, these qualities. When he says these things, these qualities, he's referring to the qualities he just mentioned in verses 5 through 7. Characteristics and qualities of spiritual progression. So that's what he's referring to as he keeps talking about this. He's going to expound now further on the importance of spiritual progress, referring to its benefits and warnings. And in verse 8 here, he speaks of the benefits of spiritual growth. He says, if these things of spiritual development and growth are a part of your life, he says, and in fact, more than that, if they're actually abounding in your life, he says, then that is a good indication of your spiritual condition. Again, spiritual life, according to Jesus, is supposed to be flourishing and abounding. Jesus said that I have come that you may have life and that more abundantly. And Peter says if that's the case and you're abounding in spiritual growth and development in your life, he says the wonderful thing, verse 8 here, look at our text, he says is that you will then not be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That phrase, knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, is an experiential term. It refers to your experience with Christ or your relationship with Christ. So Peter's saying if you see progression and development and that's abounding in your life, he says the benefit of that is, is that will help you to continue to safeguard yourself from spiritual deterioration in your experience and relationship with Christ. You won't become barren and unfruitful 
spiritually. I think the point that Peter's trying to make here is that spiritual growth proactively safeguards us from spiritual deterioration. Let me say that again. Spiritual growth or spiritual development, it proactively safeguards me from spiritual deterioration or spiritual apathy. One of the great dangers in spiritual life is to potentially become stagnant and kind of paralyzed spiritually. I mean, let's be very candid this morning. Unfortunately, some people do get saved and they never make any spiritual development. They may genuinely make a commitment to Christ and be born again, but after they accept Jesus, they kind of just stay in an arrested state of development. And they never mature spiritually. They never go on with the Lord. They remain sort of spiritually idle. They never move forward in the things of God. It's almost kind of like, again, like, like starting a car and then never driving it anywhere. The power's on. That, that's great. The power's on. But the whole purpose of a car is, is to go somewhere with it, not just to turn it on. It's great. The power's on, but you should utilize that thing to move forward. And some people spiritually, unfortunately, that becomes their experience. They accept Christ, they're born again, but then they never mature, they never develop, they never go forward in their relationship with Jesus. Other Christians may grow for a time, but then something comes into their life and it impedes their progress. And it stops their progress and their development. Maybe they begin to backslide back into the world. They were at one time walking with Jesus and growing spiritually, but then something happened. They allowed something, a relationship, some you know, habit, some heart, and all of a sudden now their development, it's just kind of ceased and it stopped. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe one time you were walking close to Jesus and this morning uh, you're not really growing the way that you once were. Or maybe you like a muscle that's in a cast for a long time that just atrophies and shrinks up. Maybe you've kind of atrophied spiritually a little bit. Well, listen, this morning is a great opportunity to say, hey, this isn't God's intention for my life. What do I need to do to exercise myself back towards godliness, to grow and to develop? In either case, it's a sad and stagnant condition. The Bible calls it in verse 8 here, becoming barren and unfruitful. You think of a barren womb an unfruitful plant. They both are failing to fulfill the intended purpose for which they were designed. That's, the, that's a sad thing. It's a tragedy when those are the conditions. And here he's warning us against these things of becoming unproductive and ineffective. Jesus' intended purpose is that we be fruitful and productive. He said again in John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Jesus said, I chose you to be fruitful, that you would go out and bear fruit as a Christian, develop and progress. And Peter says, if we're continually increasing in spiritual growth, then this dangerous condition of being barren and unfruitful, it'll stay away from our life by us just proactively growing and developing will in a sense counteract and not allow that barren, unfruitful condition to come into our lives. I don't know what translations some of you may have. I know some other translations render these verses here that we will not become useless. We will not become ineffective or unproductive. Now, none of those terms sound good to me regarding Christian experience. I mean, just try that on this morning. A useless Christian an ineffective Christian, an unproductive Christian, a barren Christian, an unfruitful Christian. None of those sound like God's plan for us. 
a fruitful, blossoming Christian is what God intends for our lives. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, he said, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, is it complicated? No, it's just getting connected to Jesus again. Connecting to Jesus tapping back into the life of Christ and walking with him. Listen to God's ideal for the child of God from Psalm 92. It says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Does that describe your Christian life this morning? Hey, this is a great passage to take personal inventory and evaluate your relationship with Jesus. Are you blossoming and fruitful spiritually? Or are you barren and unfruitful spiritually? Peter is telling us spiritual development can help turn that around in each of our lives. Verse 9, he says, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted or nearsighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So verse 9, Peter reveals a contributor to neglecting spiritual growth. And that contributor to neglecting spiritual growth, he says, is that sometimes Christians can lose perspective spiritually. You notice the language here changes. He now speaks not of those who have these things, but those who lack these things. What things? Those who lack the evidences of spiritual progression and development. And he says when that is the case, a person's not growing and developing spiritually, he says verse 9 here in our text, the reason behind that is they've forgotten something. What have they forgotten? Well, he says what they've forgotten. He says they've actually forgotten that they were cleansed from their old sins. What's the Bible indicating there? The Bible is indicating that one of the causes of arrested spiritual development is we lose sense of the wonder and appreciation of God's salvation in our lives. You know, it's amazing that when we're first saved, when you first come to Christ, I know my, you know, I mean, it's your, your, your life song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And it isn't amazing how we can go from amazing grace and, and, and we live our life according to a response to that amazing grace to then somehow we can gravitate all the way to a place where we're abusing grace and we're trampling underfoot the life of Christ and living selfishly and self-consumed and we go from being astounded at his forgiveness and of our old sins to kind of just being apathetic. And we don't have an appreciation or a, a, a reverence for it anymore. And a person's spiritual perspective can become blurry. He says that we, verse 9, can actually become short-sighted or nearsighted. The idea is a person that's nearsighted, they can only see close up. I'm nearsighted. I have contacts. I wear glasses. I'm very, very nearsighted. A person who's nearsighted can see close up, but they can't see anything further away. And he says this is kind of what happens to us spiritually if we're not careful. We can become spiritually nearsighted. It describes a person whose life is conscious of only themselves. They become very self-consumed. They become nearsighted in their spiritual perspective where their whole life is focused on their present surroundings. It's a life lived by impulse, consumed with self. We've lost the bigger picture. We don't make decisions conscious of and in line with, hey, how does this affect eternity? And what matters for eternity? And if I sow this choice today, what might happen a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, 
When a person becomes spiritually blinded with a nearsighted condition, they're living only for the present and pleasure. They're consumed with self and they've lost perspective, the Bible says. It begins to blind them and they begin to live in that condition. So my question is this, if that's the case or if that describes you this morning, what's the answer? Well, you need a little spiritual eye surgery. Sometimes it's okay to go to the Lord and say, Lord, you know what? Um, I need you to open my eyes again. Lord, in the same way when I got saved, man, it was like, I, I just, I saw it. You know, Jesus said no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And if you truly have been born again by the spirit of God and accepted Jesus, isn't that kind of true? All of a sudden it's like, wow, you see it. I see it. I see what all these Christians are excited about. I see it now. And then sometimes we begin to lose perspective. And sometimes we have to go to the Lord and say, oh, Lord, would you open my eyes? Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Lord, I've lost perspective. Man, I've gotten so off track in regards to my perspective. I'm becoming so self-consumed and I live for the present. And Lord, I just, I need you to open my eyes again. I'm not living the way and seeing the way that you want me to. And I encourage you this morning, if that's your condition, to ask that prayer and God will answer it. He'll open your eyes. He'll help you to see the way that he wants you to see. Peter says, verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. So here in verse 10, Peter goes so far to speak of the importance of self-examination in light of spiritual development to validate the fact that if there is spiritual growth, then that is an evidence and an assurance of spiritual life. You know, one commentator I read said this, and I think it's great. He said, it is not our profession of faith that guarantees that we are saved. It is our progression in the faith that gives us that assurance. The person who claims to be a child of God, but whose character and conduct give no evidence of spiritual growth, is deceiving himself and heading for judgment. Boy, I could not say that better. The Bible's telling us simply this, all living things grow. That's just the way nature works. Living things grow and therefore spiritual life should bring growth and development and what the word of God is doing here and Peter's heart pleading is saying, listen, any who are hearing what I'm writing in this letter, Peter's saying, please, please, be careful, he's saying, do not presume upon your spiritual condition. So he calls for evaluation. He says, make your calling and election sure. Be sure, he's saying. In essence, he's saying, if there is no real evidence of spiritual growth and progress in your life, he's saying one very possible conclusion is there really is no spiritual life in you. Maybe you made a profession of faith, but maybe it was just a profession of with words toward Jesus. And there was not a genuine commitment, a surrender, a, a, an embracing of Jesus Christ. And the Bible is saying, be careful. Be careful. He's saying, you don't want to stumble in this area. It tells us in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. And can I exhort you this morning in the midst of this passage, listen, there is too much at stake. If you are not sure regarding your calling and embracing the call of God to accept Jesus Christ, if you've answered that call, then make sure. I beg you by the mercies of God, make sure. Don't presume. 
Don't presume. If you see no development, no evidences of spiritual life within yourself, it's good to humbly admit, well, maybe it hasn't happened yet. And so, Lord, please, I want to be sure. Make that call sure this morning before you leave this place. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, will be saved. And make sure you don't stumble into that deception accidentally. Verse 11, he says, For so an abundant entrance, or excuse me, an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So Peter comes kind of this this ultimate reward of spiritual progress. Notice in verse 11 there, to anyone who accepts Jesus Christ by faith, if you embrace him as Savior and Lord, if you put your faith in Jesus, not faith, faith does not save you. The Bible says even demons believe in God. It's not faith that saves you. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's personal faith in Jesus Christ to save you for your sins. It's who you put your faith in. Anybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible promises that they will be able to experience entrance into an everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you've done that, that's a promise and an assurance. But notice the Bible also seems to show us here and indicate that people can enter into heaven in different manners according to how they run their race spiritually. He says here, reward may vary depending upon our faithfulness to our calling because he says, I'm not just talking about an entrance, but he says, I'm encouraging you, go for an entrance that will be supplied to you abundantly. An abundant entrance, some of the translations say. I think the best way to think of it is this way. It's one thing to enter a race, a marathon, a race, and to just want to finish and cross over the finish line. It's a whole other thing to enter into a race and to actually try and win. You put a whole different level of effort and commitment and devotion into it because you want to succeed, you want to go as far as possible. And the Bible is saying, listen, spiritually, God equates our walk with him to like running a race spiritually. And Peter is saying to us here as an older, mature believer, about to die. Remember, that's the point of his life. He says, listen, Christian, you don't just want to finish the race. He says, you want to finish well. Finish well. He says, aim to finish well so that when you cross the finish line, you can hear Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Hey, this morning, can I encourage you as a Christian, if you need to get back into the spiritual gym, while we're concluding our service this morning, singing a final song and praying, that you just talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help in that area. Help me to begin to make growth and development once again. And if you are here this morning and you've never accepted Christ, make sure this morning. Validate that this morning.